Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. My name is Sean, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Trailside Church. Um, man, today is a great day, right? Great day. Um, week three in our building, it's Cinco de Mayo, so I know everyone's pumped about celebrating Mexican freedom, right? Yeah? Um, no, but we're going to celebrate Jesus today. We are, uh, a little later in our service, going to baptize five people, five people, um, which is just it's bananas to me. It's, it's so incredible. So um, when we planted our church, we really felt like that was one thing we wanted to be about was to see um, people get baptized, to baptize the city. Actually, the mayor, uh, Brandy Almadon, and I kind of have a little joke. We go back and forth because uh, she goes to Marietta first, and she's been there her whole life, but she loves our church and um, was a big part of us being able to come here. And we uh, just will kind of back and forth send each other a little like, hashtag, you know, when when we were kids, it was a pound sign, right, guys? Everyone over, everyone not a millennial. If you say pound, if you say pound, the younger guy's like, what, what is that? What do you use that for? Hashtag baptize TR, and that's what we're about here. And so um, we're super excited. But we're going to baptize uh, number 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 um, just since we started in a year ago. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's amazing. We're... It's, a, it's an honor, and, and we're just so excited um, because God is changing lives, and um, that's all we're about here. We're not about building Trailside's kingdom. We're not about, um, I don't need any more screen time on anything, uh, but we're, we're about seeing people meet Jesus, and um, what is happening here is a movement in the city, and I, I just can't wait to see uh, what continues. So, um, but this is, this is why we believe that it's worth celebrating so much. And um, we're actually going to be in John 4 today, so you can kind of get there as I'm talking, because I'm about to get really pumped, so stay with me. But um, why we believe it's so worth celebrating is because when people meet Jesus, and when Jesus replaces religion with an awareness of our own depravity and an awareness of his redemption, the change in eternity is shown by how we live here. It, 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 meaning it changes everything. When, when Jesus shows up and when Jesus replaces what we thought religiousness was or moralism I like to talk about, when he replaces that and we become fully aware of who we are and what, what is in this heart and that he redeems that, everything changes. Everything. We believe that when someone truly is met by the creator of the universe, that it is impossible for them to remain the same. It's impossible because if, if we are about what we are about, if we believe Jesus to be who we say he is, then that means that he is 100% the breaker of addictions, that he is 100% the restorer of relationship and marriages, that he is the forgiver of offense, that he is the redeemer of the hopelessness, that he is the releaser of chains, that he is the vindicator of accusation. That he is the healer of oppression. And that he is the hope of all the world. See, when we talk about Jesus changing people, it's not even just here. It's also all the little kids who are in this crazy hallway that if you haven't seen, you should. We're establishing a place for children to grow up and to have an answer when the world crumbles around them. My own two children are back there. If your kid comes home and said that there was a blonde-haired kid that was mean to him, that was my son, okay? He's a little broken sinner, but God loves him. <laughs> but we are establishing something for this community to come and have redemption and have hope in places where there was no hope. And it takes all of us. Because we believe Jesus to be exactly who he says he is. We believe that Jesus is greater than any of our own failures. Anything you walked in here with, Jesus is greater than. Any insecurity that you walked in here with, Jesus is greater than. 
And when those failures and those insecurities, when they meet redemption that is whole and perfect, when they meet the gospel, when our fears and our anger and our resentments and all the things that we hold inside of us that hurt so much, that cause relationship to break, when those things meet Jesus, when those things meet redemption as whole and that is perfect, it is impossible for us to remain the same. It's impossible for us to remain as we were before that experience because when we meet Jesus, things change. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. We're not celebrating an opportunity to dunk people in water. We're celebrating a moment where Jesus has made a change. And so I'm going to get too excited. Let's just turn to John 4. I'm already too pumped. I didn't even have coffee today, really. I know, right? As you turn to John 4, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Father, we love you and we thank you for this moment, for this place, for your word. We pray that that your word may rest on our hearts with great weight, that our hearts be transformed to be more more like yours. And God, we pray that you would be glorified as our goal as we seek to make much of you and less of ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me set the scene for us. In the first six verses of John 4, Jesus has uh, come in, the hero of our faith that the story is all about. He's come in and he has uh, given his first miracle, the wedding at Cana, which is an awesome moment, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. Then he's done what I think is one of my favorite stories, cleanse the temple. Because I just think like, you know, if you're going to worship God, Probably wants to be one with a whip throwing tables around, right? He's, he's not the little wuss that, that he's portrayed to be hanging on a cross all week and stuff. Like, he threw tables around. He probably had an awesome beard, which is why I grow one. So, ladies, pick it up. No, I'm just kidding. I know. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Um, but now he's becoming more famous than John the Baptist, a hero, amongst people, which I tell people, I understand, you know, Jesus is becoming more famous than the Baptist. That's a hard thing to do. We're also trying to become more famous than the Baptists. Um, It's a slow, there you go. Some of you got it. Yeah. Some of the rest of you are like, I'm here visiting from a Baptist church and I have great offense. Get ready. Um, (laughs) Said much worse things. No, we love the Baptist church. Um, But Jesus, the Jew, Because of that, because of jealousy, and because of him growing famous, is heading home toward Galilee from where he is. And we have actually a map that I want to show you because it's actually pretty important um, to understand what it is. We have a map. There it is. Um, So Jesus is down in Judea. That's the, the lower part if your eyes are giving you a hard time. Now, here's what would happen, and this is why this is so important to what's happening in the story. Most Jews, especially those who are high authority or well thought of to be kind of leaders within the church, would not step foot in Samaria. Samaria is where all of the less thans were, enemies, people that didn't fit, people that weren't good enough. And so what most Jews would do is they would actually go to the right of the Jordan River. You kind of see the big line all the way on the right. Go to the right of the Jordan River and go all the way around Samaria so as to not put foot inside of the enemy territory, and then they would go up and around through the Jezreel Valley and up into Nazareth. So Jesus is actually on his way from Judea up to Nazareth at this point. But he does something really interesting. Instead of going and taking the long route around where the less thans and where the people that a Jew would never associate with would be, Jesus walks straight through takes a journey right into the enemy territory, right where he, as a high-ranking Jew, should never be. Someone who's called rabbi, who has that kind of authority and that kind of clout, would never step foot in Samaria. But here's Jesus getting ready to go, and he says he walks straight through the middle. Now, notice where Samaria is. Notice where Shechem is, which is actually where he's going to meet this lady at the well. It's in the middle of of the place, in the middle of Samaria, Jesus has no fear. So Jesus the Jew heads home to Galilee. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans 
Samaritans, excuse me, hated each other. In fact, 20 or 30-ish years after this that we're about to read in John 4, a war breaks out between the Jews and between the Samaritans, and it's so bad that the Roman army actually has to send soldiers there just to get them to chill out. It's kind of like, I I, I attribute this to, um, you know, we were at a middle school here a few miles away for a, a little over a year, and I attribute it to seeing a fight of two middle schoolers who are going at it, and then one adult just comes in and does this. You know, and kind of separates them, and they're throwing punches, like death is coming. And the guy's just, all right, you guys, y'all done? You tired yet? Okay, here we go. We're done. It's pretty much what the Roman army had to do. Except for when the Roman army did that, they actually crucified a ton of Jewish Christians. But that's, that's how bad this is. And so Jesus heads directly into Samaria, right into the den of the less thans. And as he's traveling, he stops for a little drink around noon o'clock. And that's where we pick up in verse 7 in John 4. Let me read it to you. It should be on the screen, but I'll read it as well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to an eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So we'll pause there and pick up. So here's what happens. Here's what we want to sit on today as we get ready for baptism. I think there's a a theme of today being five. We have five baptisms. It's Cinco de Mayo, five of five. Um, So what we're going to talk about today is is five things that happen when you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus, because this lady is going to go through five big moments that I think all of us can kind of take from. In fact, if you didn't bring a notebook or a pen... Great news, we're moderately prepared on Sunday, and we have this uh, connection card on the back as a place for you to take notes, and if you're a first-time guest, fill this out, let us know how we can love you, pray for you, I have a little gift for you, Um, it's not like a mug with trail sun on it, it's just coffee and a note because we love you, but um, you can write these down here. So, five things that happen when we meet Jesus. The first is this, that he often shows up in places we don't expect. Number one. I want to read verse 7 through 9 for you again so we can really get that piece of Scripture in our head. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Remember the Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Here's Here's what happens. Jesus shows up in places that we don't always expect. And notice her confusion as well. Like She's hiding and justifying. Even the fact that she's there at noon says a lot about her character. So typically, women would go to the well to pull up water between 7 and 9 a.m., morning working hours. And so that's when community would happen. That's when you would catch up on the scuttlebutt, right? The gossip. Say hello. So then why would a woman... Come at noon, in the middle of the heat, in the desert, and draw water then. It's because she's expecting to be alone. She's hiding. She's keeping herself away from community and away from people, because if she has to face people, she's worried about what she might face. And so she tries to hide. And then, as Jesus says, Woman, please get me a drink. The first thing she does is justifies. So you? Why would you ask me? Why why would a a Jewish man speak to a Samaritan woman? 
How does that work? How does that fit? Because, see, for her, she wasn't worthy to speak to a Jew. She wasn't worthy of having someone look at her who was opposed to her and ask for her help. And here's the other thing, that Jesus still shows up in that moment, even at the risk of rules, because for her to draw water out of a well that livestock ate, and then Jesus, a Jew, to drink from it, would make him ceremoniously unclean. Meaning that him getting water from a Samaritan that, a life, that livestock would also drink from, from a well that she had that was in Samaria with her pot in her hand, and then giving it to Jesus would make him technically unable to worship in the temple. Because that's what religious law said, that he would be made unclean. But see, when Jesus shows up and he does this thing where he shows up in places we don't expect, he also does it in ways we don't expect. Because Jesus isn't worried about our mess. Jesus isn't worried about being ceremoniously unclean because he makes things clean. He takes the dirt and he brings it to a righteous state. And church, even in this first point, we could stop right here and baptize because this is how we change the world. This is what the church should be. The church should be a place where we are willing to go into the depths of the den with people, meet them where they are, and then go against everything that they would think the church should be. To not be fearful and scared of people. To not be fearful and scared of people's presumptions or their thoughts or the things they say or believe, but to walk with people through their doubt and their concern and their justification of them being disqualified from worshiping. There are people who are scared to walk in this building because it has church in the title. And we can't be the church if we are keeping people out of it. And that's how we change the world. The second thing he does... Go with me in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, here's the thing, the second thing that happens when we meet Jesus is that Jesus gives us what we need even when we don't know we need it. Because here's what happens. When we understand who Jesus is, who he really is, not who church is, not what Southern culture looks like. I know I hate on the South, but I'm from here mostly, okay? From Ohio, but, you know, hang in there. I know, it's okay. It's okay. But, but I, I know what that southern culture of church looks like. But when we meet Jesus, when we understand who Jesus is, our needs and our desires and our focuses change. And notice what she does. She speaks, she says, but our father Jacob. She even attributes herself back into the Jewish history. And that even as a Samaritan, she identifies with Jacob. Now, most likely for her to do that, to be a woman in Samaria who also says she's part of Jacob's life and lineage, means that she was probably a mix of Samaritan and Jew, which meant that she didn't fit in anywhere, that she was hated by everybody. She was actually, that that mixed breed of people in that time were looked at as less than dogs because they didn't belong on either side. And so here's Jesus talking to her. Instead of hating her, He says, I have something greater than you don't even realize. I have something greater than what you're seeking here. And how often are we of the same attitude? 
See, the church has come off the rails in some places. We've begun executing grace only when it's convenient, when it's easy. The church, I, 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 I feel burdened to say this, and it's only because I'm living it and struggling with it all the time, is that grace is not grace when it's easy or convenient. Grace cannot be grace when it's something that naturally occurs in you. Grace should hurt you a little bit. See, it's not true forgiveness if you just say you're forgiven and still hold things against people. It can't be grace when it's easy, because if it's easy, it's not grace. It's just you kind of doing what you were going to do anyways. And so here's Jesus sitting with a woman at the well who's a mixed breed in Samaria, who, um, as we're going to learn here in a second, isn't living her best life yet. Hiding from people, and yet he offers her the grace that she did not even know she needed. Because grace isn't grace when it's convenient. But Jesus' offer is more than enough for her. It's more than enough for her. Pardon me. (laughs) His gift, the water that he offers, is sufficient in ways that she didn't even know she needed. He says, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, if you understood what was in front of you, you would not be waiting on me to ask. You would ask me. If you understood who Jesus was, you would say, please give me what you have. What is that that makes you different? I need what you are giving. And so Jesus says, if you understood who you were talking to, you would ask for that. You would ask for the water that does not dry. See, this is, this is the gospel. That when we are met with a true understanding of what Jesus offers, nothing else matters. That's how I, some of you may have heard Tyler get up here and talk about giving. He said, you know, we give generously and we give out of what God has. The only way to understand that is to go like, listen, when we come to a point where only Jesus matters, we don't have to fear things like money and giving. And it's not about how little we can afford, it's how much God has done. And then baptisms happen and lives change. But notice her response in verse 15. She says, um, listen, I don't want to be thirsty. You know, give this water to me. I don't want to thirst anymore, and I sure don't want to come to the well. Right? It's like, I just want life to be easy. I don't want to work anymore. So she misunderstands that Jesus isn't talking about magic water. He's talking about eternal security. That the things that she thinks she needs right now will pale in comparison to what she can receive that will never dry out, that will give her an opportunity in eternity to never thirst. But here's the third thing that happens when we meet Jesus. Our brokenness is bared to us. So verse 16. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Uh Uh-oh. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And then one of my top five favorite verses in all of Scripture, just because it's hilarious. Some of y'all are reading ahead. (laughs) Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, if there's a verse that has to do with parenting, I want this, this is it, right? Because when your child or maybe your niece or your nephew or a child of a family you love, you catch them doing something wrong, you're like, listen, I'm aware that you did this. And like, how did you know? <laughs> right? When I was a kid, um, I think my brother was like one and a half, so I was like four. I went, took the trash can away from the side of the house and wrote Timmy Guida real big on it. And I was like, ha, ha, got him. Right? Like, obviously, I wouldn't write my name on the side of the house. And my parents, as I'm told, displayed it to me and said, yeah, it's funny. No. (laughs) Here it is. Mom, I see that you are a prophet. (laughs) 
But that's what it's like. We're like children as we try to outsmart the creator who knows everything. Because when we meet Jesus, our, our brokenness is bared to us. But I, w- I want you to know this, church, as we talk about loving people, as we talk about our, our vision and our goal for this church and what it means, Jesus does not condemn. He, he allows conviction to occur, right? He doesn't come in and say, you're doing this, you're doing this, fix it. He allows her the opportunity to go, you know what, um, you're right. He doesn't condemn the actions. He just says, hey, bring your husband. Come back. We'll talk about this water thing. And in that opportunity where he does not condemn but offers grace, he's unfazed by her mess. Notice nowhere in the story is Jesus going like, hey, you know, I don't really know that, I'm worthy, that you're worthy of sitting next to me. You've had five, five husbands. And you're with another guy who's not even your husband. He's not worried about any of that. He just says, you're right. And this is what I know about you. He knows the deepest part of her. Yet Jesus is willing to meet her exactly where she is and give her exactly what she doesn't know she needs. And the Spirit convicts her heart of her own sin, which allows for redemption to happen. See, he knew, but he did not condemn because she confessed. And then in verse 19, the gospel happens. I I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then boom, confession. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Salvation comes. See, her true issue is not husbands or boyfriends or hiding from community at the well at noon. Her true issue is that she does not feel worthy of worship, of of the ability to worship, rather. But the fourth thing that happens when we meet Jesus is that he makes the main thing again the main thing. The secondary issues are secondary. They don't matter anymore. Because he says that he is enough. And then he says salvation comes from him only. All the things you're worried about with worship are only because you don't understand who Jesus actually is. And so he says he is coming. And it won't matter whether you're on the mountain in Jerusalem or whether you're back in Samaria. It won't matter the building or the walls that you're in, where the temple is. It will only matter that you worship the Father in spirit and truth, in heart and in action. It's like that's all God wants. God isn't worried about where and how. If you sing traditional hymns or brand new songs, we lift our hands. If you pray real pretty, or a few moments of honesty. He just says the only thing that matters is that you worship in heart and in action. That you demonstrate it here and that that comes out of you and how you love and see people. See, what he does is he reminds her that the water is him and that he is the salvation and that he is enough and that he is enough, he can reacclimate our worship and then renew our hearts back to him so that we can worship cleanly and purely and that God would be glorified. And when God is glorified by our worship, things change, people's lives change, as is going to be evidenced here. It is not a physical location, it's an attitude of heart and it is a practice of action. And so let's watch what happens in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, notice she left the jar. She doesn't need that water anymore. 
Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. I'm going to skip down to verse 39. And many Samaritans, remember the less thans, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And this is, guys, this is the most beautiful part of this whole story. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that, it is, that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, the fifth thing that happens when we meet Jesus is that our hearts become joyfully obligated to furious evangelism. See, we do things we would not have done in the past. Remember, remember, this is a woman who is scared so much so that she would go out in the blazing heat in the desert in the summer and go get water so she didn't have to see other people, so that her sin would not be bared in front of others, so she couldn't be judged. But she meets Jesus, has her life changed, and then she is actually going into the city and telling everybody she knows. Notice the switch that happens there. She goes from hiding and secluding herself to going out of her way to make sure people know because it is so effortlessly life-changing that everyone needs to know. It switches everything. It changes how we live. It changes the things we do. Listen, without Jesus coming in and hanging out at 9 o'clock and 9.30 and playing an instrument at 8 o'clock in the morning so that we could sing songs real pretty and asking for money and you giving and then serving and coming to third Saturday, all the things we do, to do all of those things apart from Jesus is silliness. Dumb. But with Jesus... See, the catalyst to that change and that mattering is that something changes within us. And that's what happens when we meet Jesus. We don't ascribe to rules and making sure that we dress really nice on Sunday and go to small groups and say, everything's great, wonderful, I have no issues at all, no stress. What happens when we meet Jesus is that our hearts are bared to each other. We do things we normally wouldn't do, that we become joyfully obligated. And so this woman shares her testimony. A woman with five husbands and a live-in boyfriend turns to an evangelist. And then redemption breeds redemption. All these people who come to hear the gospel, to hear from Jesus... They come and they say, you know, we came because we heard what you said. But now, now we believe because we have heard it ourselves. And we know that he is the Christ. See, when we meet Jesus, this is what takes place. Listen, I know it may seem silly for us to ask you, the church, to go and talk to people about Jesus to go and share the word about the church and what we're doing. To be excited, to give, to serve. It's not so that we can build our kingdom. It's so that this can happen, so that people will come because they hear us speaking. And then as they come, they hear truly who Jesus is. And they say, listen, we came because you said come, but now we're staying because Jesus has spoken to us and we know he is who he says he is. And that changes lives. That's how we get past intricacies of things that bother us at church, of if it's too warm or the screen's too small or the pastor doesn't stop playing with his ear. Any of those things, those things all fall down when we understand who Jesus is and what he truly does for people. And that is the heart of what our church is. It's the heart of what we want to do. And so with that, we're going to continue celebrating. We're going to baptize five people right now. Yeah. And, and guys, listen, this is a celebration. This is a, an incredible moment 
I'm taking off my watch. I'm scared of you. Yeah. This is something that, that we want to get excited for. So as they come out of the water, we can celebrate and clap. And I know there's babies here, but that's okay. Hold the baby's ears tight. Because this is a great moment. We're going to do that together. So Tyler's going to come up and help me. And the first person's coming up is Riley Taylor. Tyler, I didn't tell you you were going to do this, but can you um, just, just sit down for me? Yeah. Yeah, it was warm when we put it in there at 8 o'clock. But uh, hey, Tyler, can you, can you just hold this, man? I want to give them an opportunity to. This is still something we're getting used to, how this happens. You can come on up, Mom. Come on, Leslie. You can get some pictures. Um, so, Riley, you don't have to, but I want to give you the opportunity. I just want you to have a chance to tell them why you're doing this and why it's important to awesome. you. Awesome. Okay, so you're probably wondering why the worship leader of this church is getting baptized and has... <laughs> he just got uh, saved yesterday. I actually just got saved, yes. <laughs> um, no, but, so I was baptized, I think, what, my mom was in eighth grade, I think, ish. And I don't think I understood fully what it meant then. I don't think I was a believer then. And so this past, these past three weeks, I guess, as I've told, as I've mentioned last week, um, have kind of reaffirmed my calling um, and what I believe, um, who Jesus to be. And I, Jesus has been so real to me, and I, his grace has been so evident to me in so many ways. Um, and so I want to publicly proclaim that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he's going to pull me out of the water, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm doing it. So take it away, Sean. <laughs> I don't have to ask a question. You just said it. So, Riley, it is an honor, brother. I love you. I'm proud of you. And um, you have a great future, and I'm just so excited that it's here. Um, so, Riley, put your hand over your nose, bro. It's an honor and a joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice the towel placement. That was pretty key. All right, who's next? Amanda, come on up. Yeah. It is cold. Hang in there. You're from New York. Oh, boy. It is. So um, go ahead and sit down while you sit. Amanda has a, just an incredible story. Um, Amanda, Amanda was hanging out at Starbucks. Here, scoot up a little. Scoot this way for me, little Amanda. It is cold. It's all right. Um, Amanda was hanging out in Starbucks and uh, met some of our college students, invited her to Bible study, and um, now she's a follower of Jesus. And uh, I don't, do, you, I don't, do you have anything you want to say, or you want to just dunk in? You tell me. Um, hashtag Starbucks, no. Um, this life is hard. Life is hard. And I didn't realize that it could be easier with just one small step. And I, I sat down at Starbucks and I talked to Sarah and here I am. Um, I think it's been, what, about a month and a half? And uh, Sarah taught me how to pray. And this past week, uh, basically in Sarah's arms in my living room, I got saved. And, and this, this is just the step. And I, I can tell you guys just over the last few weeks, the the clarity that has come into my life and I've got a lot of big life-changing decisions to make and and God has helped me with that and those decisions are made and and I'm ready and I'm excited to have him by my side as I go through the rest of this journey. So I'm going to go back on the video later and I'm going to take what you said and I'm going to post it everywhere. Um, the thing about the, what was the, does anyone remember exactly? It was a one small step. Yeah, I, I, I was like, <laughs> Tyler's having an effect on me. I'm going to cry. Um, I, <laughs> this is the gospel. This is, the, this is what we are about right here. Six weeks ago, everything changed because Sarah and a couple of our college students took a step. Adults, don't tell me, don't tell me that God doesn't use our college students. And don't tell me you can't. Because this is what happens when we're faithful. 
You ready? Amanda, it is a joy and an honor of mine to baptize you. So put your hand over your nose. Tommy will help me out. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you. I am. It's all right. It's part of the joy of being a pastor. You get to get a little bit wet during this moment, so... How exciting is that? Man. Who's next? Oh, hi. Hi. This is Mary Grace Mack. Yeah, we do. It is cold, yeah. Um, Mary Grace is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. You've seen her sing here before, and uh, she's back from Clemson. So she gets to sing more this summer, which we're very excited about because she sings like an angel. Um, but uh, Mary Grace, do you want to tell everybody why you're doing this and why it's important to you? Um, just recently, the Lord has been putting baptism on my heart, and I'm just really excited to take um, this next step in my faith, and I'm very thankful for this church. Yeah. I'm thankful for you. Um, one of the most lovely people you ever meet right here. And I know that you know and love Jesus, so I don't have to ask you, but I'm going to ask you to put your hand over your nose will baptize you. It's my honor and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Love you, Lord. Mary Grace was one of my first students when I was at First Press. Actually, Afton and I both. Um, Tyler's, I don't know if you guys, if everyone's heard this, but Tyler, our other pastor on our staff, his wife Afton and I worked together at First Pres for a long time, and um, we both got to see Mary Grace grow, and uh, it's just what an incredible thing that is. Right, Afton? It's awesome. Who's next? All right, Taylor. Yeah. Come on in. It's cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone's a little surprised when they step in. Uh, Taylor came to church for the first time last week, right? Yeah. Well, like here, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, so in our comment cards on the bottom there that tear off, um, I, I get cards and typically it's like a name, maybe a phone number, maybe an email, you know, because you guys are a little scared of a pastor. It's cool. Um, I get this card and it has everything filled out. Uh, there's not enough room. I flip the back. It's like, contact me anyway. I want to do everything. Just, you could like sense the excitement coming off this card. Um, and I had an opportunity to go and uh, meet Taylor at her house and uh, talk about Jesus and about her life. And um, I, this is just such an exciting thing um, that Taylor has given her life to Christ. And that, uh, like you said, this is, this is day one for you. Um, did you have anything you want to say or you, whatever you want to do? I know that's awkward. I apologize. <laughs> so many years didn't even believe in God and it wasn't until June of 2017 when I moved down here that like I found God or he found me or whatever um, and it was such a powerful thing and my sister and I went to Wobble House and the first thing in the morning and she was so excited because I was finally there and um, since then it's been a rough road and uh, there have been things that have tried to deter like me and God's mind and God's relationship and this is a really big step. This is this is where I'm like, no, no more, nothing's gonna deter this. So yeah. Taylor's got two small boys um, who have awesome names. Tell tell them your son's names. Yeah. I'm going to rename myself Eros. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Such a cool name. I got to hang out with Eros a little bit. He's a cool guy. Um, but this is a moment that doesn't just change you. It changed their trajectory as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is what, what it's about, that, the generational shift that happens when Jesus makes himself known. And for you in this step today, you're taking this, and you are giving them an opportunity to have that generational shift yeah. in them too. And so we're excited about that. You ready? Yes. All right, cover your nose for me. Taylor, it is an honor and a privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, 
in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Congratulations. Sadi. All right. And last but not least, I had to grab some water myself. Sorry. I love all y'all, but I'm not drinking that water. Um, <laughs> my man, Eli. Let me tell you about Eli. Eli is uh, one of the best PAs in Greenville, South Carolina, <clears throat> um, and is a, a man of, of intense integrity and uh, honesty, and um, came here because Josh Bradford, one of our elders, invited Marcus Jones and his wife, JC. And it's Marcus's birthday, so we can say happy birthday to Marcus today, yeah. <laughs> so happy. It's great. I love how excited you are today. Um, but uh, I heard about Eli and um, that, no offense, but they've been working on you. And, um, and Eli came here and uh, man, the Lord has just changed your life. Um, and it's so exciting. And if you don't know Eli and you just want a friend who will be nice to you and love you no matter what, this is a guy right here. Um, but Eli, and if you had anything you want to say or Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> Go figure. The PA has a speech ready. He took notes. I didn't want to forget anything. So before I came to Trailside, I was broken. I was broken emotionally, spiritually, personally, and professionally. I had lost hope. I was fighting against this brokenness, but I was fighting alone. The first service I attended at Trailside, Sean spoke about how God will break you down until you have nothing until you have nothing in order to build you back up into the person you were meant to be. It was at this moment that I realized I didn't have to fight alone. I let go and put the fight in God's hands. Thus began my healing. This baptism symbolizes me becoming whole once again, the end of my brokenness, and the return of hope. He's had church all over again. Wow. Eli, I love you, brother. I'm thankful for you. You ready? Cover your nose. It's my joy and honor and privilege, Eli Wells, to baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, you're dismissed. Um, wow. Aiden, I'm still wet. Hold on to that for me. Wow. Um, well, that's what that's about. <laughs> Can we give it up, guys? We, had, we just baptized five people. That's insane. We're going to... Um, man, that was... Eli, you're supposed to show me that before you... Uh, We have systems in place, so I don't cry. Um, we're going to end this service the only way we know how, which is with communion. Um, we're going to offer you an opportunity to come to the table, and I don't know why it's placed right there, out of the way, and incredibly hard to reach, but there it is. But I want to remind you of why we're doing this. Why, why, if that wasn't a good enough reminder, that... As we come to the table, as we celebrate in remembrance of what Jesus did, his body was broken, his blood it poured out, covered our own sin. We, we take communion as a, as a reminder and a redeclaration of what Jesus has done for us. That as we eat the bread and as we take the cup, that we're acknowledging the fact that when he died on the cross, it changed history and it changed eternity and it changed ours. Uh, that a testimony of one's faith comes out and is portrayed by the taking of elements, that as the bread is broken, so is his body for you. And as we drink the cup, so his blood was poured for you. And we do it as an act of worship in which we're to remember and count the worth and the meaning and the person and the work of 
exactly who Jesus is and what he did for us. That he is our source of salvation, both for this life and that he is preparing a place for us eternally. That the hope that we have is not just in this world, but it's in forever. We do it as an expression of our relationship. That as we do this together, it's a communal effort. It is something we say to each other that we are in this together. That we are committed to one another. That we have a fellowship, a koinonia, a real sharing and participation with each other in the person of Jesus. We don't mean that the bread becomes Jesus' body or the, the juice becomes his blood, but that we together are celebrating what Jesus did. And so with that, I do ask that if you are not a believer in Christ at this point, that you refrain as this is a family meal. But I offer you the opportunity to take the step toward it. And so if you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to, I'm going to pray, and you can pray with me, and then you can come to the table, and then you better tell me that you did that. Because <laughs> we're not done at 18, are we, church? And I want to ask you to do this as you feel called, to take time. Maiden's going to keep playing for a little while. And I'm just going to, I'm going to give a couple minutes for you to come and, and do this. But this is a reading out of 1 Corinthians that helps us refocus ourselves. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread out of the Ziploc bag. <laughs> and broke it. When he had given thanks, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In addition, Jesus also said, there's gluten-free bread if you have an allergy. Just kidding. Sorry, I'm a little awkward. And likewise, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So church, I'm going to pray and I'm going to offer you the opportunity to come and break this bread and drink this cup. And as you do, do it in remembrance and proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And you love us. And you offer us redemption and hope. And what a joyous occasion it is to baptize five people today. As they walk from death into life. And as they share that out loud. And proclaim your death. And by doing so their own. For as your word says, we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. And that is the moment that we share. And so, Father, thank you. As we share communion today, Lord, we offer that same thing to anyone who's here who doesn't know you, who hasn't made that choice and that decision. And if you're here today, and that is your heart, Romans 10 says you simply have to confess two things. That you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. For is it the heart one believes the mouth one confesses that Jesus is Lord. That's it. And so if you don't know Jesus, but you want to, that's all you have to do is pray that, to believe that, to speak it. And you're welcome at the table. So Father, move in our hearts. Help us to examine our hearts that we don't take this bread and this cup lightly but that we truly offer an opportunity for ourselves to be bared in front of you. That you would convict us, that you would allow us to confess, and that you would meet us with redemption. So Lord, as we do this, help us to remember you. In your name we pray. Amen.
church, as you will, the table is open. Defeated, 
the king is alive Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever had before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.